Welcome to the Elevate Effect podcast, where we give you the resources to take you from workloads to workflows. I'm your host, Courtney. I'm an online systems educator for coaches. Fueled by cold brew and a love for watching endless reruns of Friends, I'm here to give you the tools and the support you need to scale your business and take back charge of your life and your time. So pour yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and let's do the damn thing. Okay, guys, I am so excited because today we are talking all about course design and building systems around the development and maintenance of your online course with Ariel Schiffer, who's the owner of Dream Pro and literally the course design queen. Thank you so much, Ariel, for joining me today. I'm super, super excited to have you. And I'd love for you to just kind of tell everyone a little bit about uh, your own story and why you decided to go this direction and helping business owners with course design, because your story is really cool. And I feel like everybody should hear it. Um, so if you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself, that would be awesome. Awesome. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited to be on your show. So exciting. I will give you the shortened version of the long story. So <laughs> background on me, I went to school for industrial organizational psychology. That's what I got my master's in. And what that essentially is, is business psychology with kind of a focus on human resources. So I knew I was going to be consulting with businesses in terms of their employees in their performance, their engagement their learning, their capabilities. And so throughout my corporate career, I ended up really dialing in on learning and development, which is essentially employee training. So I steered away from the technical training. <laughs> there were instances where I was a part of that, but really what I focused on was professional and leadership development and onboarding. Long story short, loved my jobs, especially being an instructional designer. That was so much fun being able to create the trainings and, and be a part of all the experiences. I did cool things like creating like virtual reality simulations, in-person workshops, online learning, e-learning, you know, creating all different types of stuff. But what I found was at my last job that I had, I was, I was miserable <laughs> to say the least. It was one of those points. I think every entrepreneur has where you just kind of look at your life and you think, is this it? Is this really like what I am going to do for the next whatever many years? So after having that coming to God moment, I realized something had to change. So I decided to go into career coaching. So career coaching, because I was actually helping a lot of people with their resumes. I was in HR. I was always my friends go to when it came to career stuff. So after, you know, deciding to do that and really all of a sudden discovering this interesting industry that we're all a part of, I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of crazy. And there's a bunch of people making obscene amounts of money and like all these like new verbiage and lingo and all these weird things. So coming into this industry, you know, that's what I focused on. And I got my first like course and program, basically like, that's actually kind of what introduced me. I was totally targeted by ads and <laughs> came across my, my current, uh, mentor and she was amazing. Her program was stellar. And so I was like, oh, this is so cool. People in this industry like create courses and they're really good programs. And so after working with her, I decided to buy another program and that one was, and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening right now can, can relate a huge letdown. <laughs> I was like, oh no, not everybody actually knows how to create a course. It was just this moment of just, I couldn't believe that I paid money for that. And, you know, the woman who was selling it, I'm not going to say her name or shame her, but 
pretty well known, if you will, in the space. She has a large network and, you know, she was really good at selling, but when it came time for the product, I was just floored. I was like, what is this? Like, this looks like she created it last night. She was literally like in her PJs, messy bun, like really distracting background behind her, no slides, nothing that she actually like poured a lot of time and effort into it seemed. And so it was that moment where I was like, you know what? I need to bring my corporate expertise into this industry. Like people actually need this. And so I created my own course, the course alchemist, and I was floored. It was like, it was the most successful thing I'd done in my business up until that point. Like it was insane. It was a great launch, you know, for being newer in business, having 20 people buy your course. And this was at the start of the pandemic last March. It was huge. I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is insane. So it opened some doors for me, but it really opened my eyes to the bigger issues that were going on in the industry. And so at that time I was actually working with a keynote speaker who has, he's like associated with the NBA on his like leadership development programs. He wanted to take his keynotes and his speaking engagements and turn them into an online program. So I was helping him with that. And he was obviously compensating me for that. And so my bookkeeper was like, who is this strange man giving you thousands of dollars a month? Like, what are you doing for him? You know, bookkeeper things. And I was like, you know, I'm helping him with his course. And she was like, can you help me with mine? She already had one and she wanted it just like redone. And I was like, yeah, I think we can do that. Like, I mean, I don't see why not. So she was kind of like, my first like done for you client in this industry, I guess, if you will. And so from there, she ended up telling people in her network about me and it just grew like wildfire. And soon enough, I just really transitioned to stepping into done for you services. So I changed my model from being a coach with different coaching programs and courses to really having my course, having my done for you services. It was definitely a long-term shift. It didn't just like happen overnight, but that's kind of where I've landed now. And so I really made it my mission to improve the quality of learning in the online business industry. I think the fact that we all have programs and educate others is a beautiful thing. And I think people need to be aware of how they can make their stuff the absolute best it could be. So that's really my mission. And the way that we make decisions at DreamPro is, you know, if it's going to help people, let's do it. That's so awesome. And I like, I, I just love your story and I love what you do because there's such a need for it in this industry because so yeah. many people create courses, um, mm-hmm. especially now, you know, they're the hot and happening thing. You know, everyone wants to create a course, but there is something to be said for it to be done right. And, yeah. uh, you know, kind of what you're talking about with your first experience when, oh, Hey, I purchased my first course and it was amazing. And then I purchased my second one and it was a total flop. I feel like every single one of us have experienced that. And I, I feel like it's really easy to come across fluff in this industry where we're kind of teaching at a surface level. And so I love that what you do is you're taking this content and these courses to the next level. And you're focusing on the psychology of how people learn and the the frameworks that we can follow to make it an easier learning process for them Mm -hmm. and helping to, again, not contribute to so much fluff in this space. So when I launched my uh, course last year, my very first course, very first launch is 2020. I did it all by myself with the help of one other team member. And we knocked it out in two weeks, which was probably the most insane thing I've ever it's done. actually unreal. Okay. Let me just say, I'm helping you obviously with like the new iteration of the program, which is amazing, but the original did not start out bad. I think there yeah. were places where we really optimized things and just yeah. like tweaked and whatever. But I want to say like for 
you creating that in two weeks is a little bit like, I, I actually can't fathom it. Yeah. <laughs> it was honest. probably the worst two weeks of my life. I remember like going <laughs> through the McDonald's drive through and ordering so much food because, you know, I'd forget to eat because I was working so hard and the lady at the drive through and she was like, oh, I bet this, this extra burger is for your dog in the back seat. And I was like, yeah, totally. It's for my dog. <laughs> Definitely not for me, but yeah, it was not a good time. And, you know, bless my team member for helping me, but you know, throughout our time working together, I found that there's so much more that goes into course design that I'd even think about before. And you and your team have made it so clear cut and easy for us to follow. And so I'm wondering what role do systems play in your business when you are working with your course design clients? And what does that kind of look like? Everything. If you are a, if you're a done for you provider, even if you're maybe not even an agency model yet, you need systems. When I really transitioned from being a team of one to now a team of 12, I could not have done it without our systems. And what I started with was really just me managing a couple of projects on my own. And in order for us to really transition to having systems, what I needed to identify first, and this is really what helped us because we leaned on Courtney's team to help us build out our whole ClickUp dashboard. And, and that is really like the hub of our system. Mm -hmm. It's like where everything is, you know, we utilize Slack for communication and whatnot, but like everything really is on ClickUp. And so before we can even pass things off to you, what we really needed to identify were what are our current processes, right? And I think this is good for any service provider to know, or any coach in general too, is when you're hiring somebody, typically they're not meant to also solve all of your life's problems. And so Courtney was there to help us really bring the systems up to par with what we were already doing. She's not here to fix our issues in terms of like what our process was. So before, you know, coming to you, we had to be really clear on what our processes were. And that's something that I worked on actually before I hired my chief operations officer was getting clear clear on what does it actually look like to take a course from nothing to complete? What am I doing? What needs to happen at the same time? In what order? What can happen simultaneously? What are the different roles on my team? So what I did was I looked at my processes and I thought, okay, let's take me out of the equation. Who really needs to do these things? And so I would label things as, well, this is administrative. This is definitely for a graphic designer. This is for an instructional designer. This is for a project manager. And so doing that really helped me see, oh, okay, these are the different roles. <laughs> this is what we're doing. This is what can happen at the same time. And then really starting to build on that, but you need a foundation and you need the systems that help make your processes actually work. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's one thing that can be, and feels so, so daunting for business owners in general is knowing where to get started in terms of your processes and your systems and things to implement. I know that when, you know, clients come to us, they're so overwhelmed with the thought of doing that, but I know it takes a lot of brain space and a lot of brain time and energy and resources to really sit down and think through, okay, what are my processes A to Z when I work with a client? But mm -hmm. then what happens is then your business is scalable. And then you can take on a much larger influx of clients because yeah. you systemize what your client experiences, what the onboarding, the management, offboarding, all of that looks like. And so then you're able to continue to scale and grow. So while it's a you know pain in the butt, it's going to have a lot of return in the long run because you're going to be able to grow a lot more quickly and a lot more successfully. So from that aspect, what do you feel like helped make it easier for you to kind of sit down and, and really identify what that process was? Was there a certain method that you followed? Was it just 
pen to paper, I dumped it and tried to make Mm -hmm. sense of it. Like what was your process for kind of going through that method of what do our systems look like currently and what do they need to look like to support growth for our business? Really like the big thing for me was first, I think you need to identify like what your goals are, right? I knew that the goal for my business was to expand it, to be able to take on way more clients, to be able to improve the quality of what I was doing by myself, which can happen with agencies. Like you're able to do things way better because you're bringing in specialized people. So I wanted to do better work. I wanted to take on more people. I wanted to actually complete the projects in less time. And so keeping those goals in mind, I was like, okay, if I want to do all these things, I need to know number one, what is the process? So I literally wrote pen to paper. What do I do with a client in the ideal world? What are we doing step by step? And I looked at my process and the first thing that I thought was, wow, I really do way too much than I should. Um, there's like so many I little things. I think we all have that moment. Yeah. <laughs> like, I should be doing this. Yeah. It was like, and, and at that time when I was really evaluating, I was looking, I, I think I had like one graphic designer and a VA. It was pretty minimal, but I was like, whoa, I can definitely lean on way more people to do these things. I'd say like, well, you know what? Step one and a half is having the coming to God moment that like, you don't have to do everything on your own and you're not a unicorn. Yeah. If you have extra expertise in something somebody else does too in this world. (laughs) I think people always approach me and they're like, I didn't know somebody like you existed. There's nobody who's doing what you do. And what I realized was that's true in this industry. However, I mean, I have trained instructional designers on my team. Instructional design isn't a new profession. So I just needed to lean into the right people. So it's looking at your processes. And then once you do that, also evaluating, like, what am I doing? That's a big waste of time. Like, what are the things that are just not efficient? What are things that can be automated, right? What are the things that can be done by something that's more templated or something that really is triggered by something else in more of like an automated way? And then really seeing, okay, what are the roles that need to be played on the team? So like labeling those out. And then it's really thinking through, okay, especially for an agency, you usually on a project have so many batons to pass, right? So for me, even though day one clients are starting with me, their project doesn't necessarily actually start with me. It starts with the instructional designer making the market research, and then it's passed on to the project manager. And then it's making sure that all these things connect, right? And so once you know where the batons need to go, now you need your systems to really make it happen, right? So how are people going to know what they need to do when they need to do it? How are they going to know their deadlines? How are they going to know about the client and all the things? So it was definitely a process, but it was like so worth it. And I actually think it came together pretty quickly. Like the efficiency of everything is actually a little bit, it's amazing how quickly it came together. I will say though, and I'm sure you say this a billion times, it's like systems are ever-changing. We are constantly looking at our operational processes and the way that our system reflect that. And we're constantly needing to make updates. I just got an email this morning from my ops manager and we had a client that things happened with her project that we didn't anticipate because we were working in a new system. There were things on her end that we were waiting on and, and vice versa. There was just a lot going on. And so I got this huge email from my ops manager this morning, just saying, Hey, here are the things that we need to change in our systems to support how we're going to move forward because things always change. And so if you have great systems, it's easier to make those changes as opposed to if you're doing things manually. Otherwise it's 
mess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I see not happen with people's businesses is even if they do go and implement systems, then they just think it's kind of, okay, well it's done. I don't have to touch it ever again, but in order for your business to successfully scale, you have to be continuously auditing and reevaluating those systems mm -hmm. to support the direction or the vision of your business long-term, because yeah. we don't want to just always implement systems for where we're at now. We want them to support where we want to go, because then if you don't, you get in that hamster wheel where you're like, crap, like we have so much stuff going on. Our systems don't support it. We, I can't focus on revamping our systems because we're so busy with client work. And so it's really building and systemizing maintenance into your systems. And like you said, having your ops manager, you know, when she's being proactive and, and coming to you and saying like, here's the things that we can do to alleviate this situation moving forward is huge. You know, one of the things that we talk about in our, our course that's being relaunched with you guys in August is an issue tracker, right? Like things that we need to systemize tracking these issues, prioritizing what needs to get taken care of first, and then implementing a solution, right? Instead of just saying, here's the issue and then throwing your hands up or waiting to fix it until it's an issue again. And like you mentioned too, it doesn't take as much as you think it's going to. I think the big thing with the processes and like outlining what that's going to look like is actually taking the time to sit down and deciding to do it. Because I think that we kind of get this like big mental block in our head. Like this is going to take so much time, which it does take time. But I think we kind of like overanalyze that in our head a little bit too. Oh yeah. Honestly, the whole like process mapping thing. I did that in like a couple of hours, right? It was really just like me dedicating the time. I think sometimes we get our head and we say like, oh, there's so much that needs to be done. Or I know that this is going to be a huge task. Well, it's like, you don't have to do everything at once and it doesn't have to be this like long drawn out thing, like do a little bit at a time, invest in people that can help you. Right. But also realize too, that like you looking at your processes and your systems is an investment in your business. Because if you don't do that, if you don't invest the time, if you don't invest the resources to do that, you're actually losing money in the long term, and it's going to catch up with you. And especially if you're a service provider, even a coach, you know, these things add up, like <laughs> it accumulates. And so you can say, oh, I don't have the time to fix this right now. Or you can set aside an hour of your time and prevent way more rework in the long run. So yeah. those decisions can be very expensive, but it's how you play the game. It's not just about serving your clients. The best way to serve your clients is to also serve your business. Absolutely. And, and identifying those bottlenecks too, because like you're saying, mm -hmm. this may take me a little bit of time to figure this issue out now, but how is this a bottleneck in my business? I think that's where a lot of us get, we start our businesses and we scale and grow really quickly and then realize everything stored in our brain. We're the only person that is managing a certain task or responsibility. And it seems easier for us just to say, Hey, I'll just do it myself because it's going to be quicker to do it now. But like you're saying in the long run, how is that going to affect my business long-term? I'm not going to be able to continue to grow or take on more clients because I can't outsource this to a team member because it's all up in my head and I'm the only one that's doing it. So and I know, you know, when we talked about your team, you had mentioned your team has grown to a team of 12 at this point, which is crazy huge and so, so amazing. And so what do you feel like you guys have been able to implement as far as management of the team in the back end of your business is whether it's a systems or communication, best practices, what has been successful for you guys managing a larger scale agency. And I know you've grown really quickly in a short amount of time as well. And what has that kind of looked like? Yeah. And I just realized too, 12 people is just my agency side. That's not including marketing yeah. or anything like that. Um, but really what helps is a number of different things. Definitely systems on the agency side. We have our, our click up and then we have dashboard 
dashboards for our client facing stuff. We have obviously the tools and ClickUp for the back end, making sure things are assigned. Slack has been huge in terms of making sure every single client we have a channel. And so we can keep communication for every client within that channel, which is great. So anytime I want to see as the business owner, what's going on in a project, I can go to that channel, scroll up and just see the comments, which is really cool. So communication is key, but also making sure that you have the right players on your team is huge, right? So for me, it was really like, number one is like understanding the role that I want to play in my business. So, you know, there's, there's always talks of like, you know, oh, we're all like CEOs and this and that. And I think we glamorize the role CEO, because if you go into any corporation, honestly, the CEO has the worst fucking job. Like, let's be honest, they're making the most money. They might be like, you know, landing on the fucking helipad, but at the same time, I hope I can curse on your show, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time, they are the busiest, right? You can't get on their calendar. They have a million things to do. They're the ones that are overseeing everything. And so, I mean, really the role you play is dependent on the boundaries you set, the goals you have, and obviously the, the infrastructure to support that. But for me, I was like, okay, like I definitely want to be a part of the business. I don't want to just feel like an owner. I want to be a part of the experience. I, I want to play a role in every single project that we do because that's really important to me and something I don't necessarily want to pass along just yet in terms of like, you know, setting the strategy and the curriculum for the programs. But what I realized was I needed leadership on my team. I didn't want to be the only one to make decisions. Cause I think too, as CEOs, we get such decision fatigue. Like even yesterday, yesterday was just a long day for me. And I felt like all day long, I was making decisions personally, professionally. And so by the time we got to the end of the day, I didn't want to cook. And so I was asking my husband, I'm like, do you want to order something? He's like, yeah, what do you want to eat? And I was like, honestly, I, I can't even answer that question anymore. Like I am maxed out with decisions, right? So having the right people and having leaders on your team who can make decisions for you is crucial. So I have, now I have a CMO. So she's going to be our head of marketing, which is great because I am not a marketing person. So I brought in somebody so that way they can spend the time and attention they need and they can answer questions and give direction. And these are people that I trust, right? Like trust is key (laughs) when it comes to trusting your systems, your people, your processes. That's like one of the biggest lessons too, in terms of growing a business and a team is if I don't trust those 12 to 15 people on my team, what's the point? So trusting her, trusting my operations manager and really being able to delegate. I know when we went away a couple of weeks ago, when we were in Atlanta together, we were all joking around about being Enneagram threes and how we just like want to be liked and this and that. And maybe it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know at this point, but like, it's so true of like the whole, like I have these feelings sometimes of like, I don't want to let people down, you know, and it's not necessarily about being liked, but like, I want to feel like I'm giving my all. I want to feel like people appreciate that and they see my effort and I don't want things to go wrong. But the truth is in business, something will go wrong. Something will happen. Somebody might not be happy, especially as you grow and and you work with more people, right? The probability of a hundred percent satisfaction is unfathomable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like trusting the process, trusting the people. And if things do happen, one of my biggest things is you can either find a problem or you can find a solution, right? And so when I'm presented with something, I'm like, where's the solution? And a lot of times, honestly, with what's come up in the last few months in terms of things here and there that we've seen is it's a systems thing. It's something that we can actually leverage our systems to make it better, whether that's adding in a QA at one point or, you know, making sure that somebody else is a part of the process at one point in the, in the project. So I think it's like, use it for what you can, because it can really help you optimize things and keep things consistent. That's huge too, especially in what I do. Like 
every project is obviously completely different, but we want to make sure that we're treating our clients consistently and that they're having a consistent and positive experience. So the systems help. They're the backbone of it all. Yeah. And I think what you mentioned too, about trust is huge. I'm really big proponent on transparency within my team, because if my team doesn't know what's going on in the back end of my business, it is nearly impossible for them to proactively support me or support Mm. our clients. Because if I'm, you know, Oh, well, I don't want them to see this, or I only want to have my hands in this and not this team member, then that puts a cap or a ceiling on what we are able to delegate and what we are able to systemize in the back end of our business. Because again, it's reliant upon us doing it ourselves. So I don't keep anything for my team members. They know all the ins and outs of the back end of my business, just because, you know, like you said, if I don't do that, then what's the point of having a team to support my business Mm -hmm. and our clients and the direction that we want to head. So I think transparency is like one of the best decisions. It was uncomfortable at first, even things like, and I'm sure everybody feels this way. Like I was nervous from the get-go about, you know, letting team members see invoices or like the financial things in the business that was uncomfortable, right? It was uncomfortable for me, but you know, and it's not that everyone on the team sees that, you know, there are certain roles that do see things like that in our business, at least, but in order for us to collaborate in order for us to come up with solutions and things to move forward, that was important. And I'm obviously I'm going on maternity leave in a couple of months. Um, and those are things I am going to have to delegate, right? Those are things Mm -hmm. that I will have to, you know, relinquish control of a little bit. And so it's kind of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and then it's not so bad anymore. So, yeah. And I think too, like, especially from one being in HR, but also obviously being an employee myself, I remember the roles where it felt like what I was doing was so restricted in terms of my creativity and ownership over things. And so I just remember that, you know, compared to the roles where I was working with people that were so empowering and they basically just said, Hey, here's your budget run with it, right? Like do what you know is best because you know best. And so what I realized was like, I thrived in those situations. Like I always brought something to the table that was like beyond what they expected. And, and I think that when you empower people and you show people that you trust them and you show them that, you know, that they're capable more and you let them rise to the occasion, you will be so surprised at what you receive. For instance, I have an instructional designer on my team. She has a certification in gamification. And so recently one of my clients was like, Hey, I really want to gamify my program. And Molly was like, Hey, like, what do you want to do for this? client. And I'm like, actually, I want to lean on you. I know this is, you know, part of your expertise. Like, what do you got? Like, let's talk about it. And she came up with this incredible plan, templated it. And she was like, Hey, we can use this as a base for all of our clients in case they want X, Y, and Z. We can pull these things in. And it just became this thing that like, I didn't even think to do, but she did because I empowered her. And it wasn't necessarily about just saying like, I don't want to do this. You do it. Right. Which sometimes, you know what, that's fair too. When you're running the business, like you can make those decisions. It's okay to delegate, but I really wanted to see like, Hey, let me just see what, what you have. Like, I don't even want to implant my ideas or my vision because I bet that you can come up with something even better. And so I think when you surround yourself with people that, you know, are really good at what they do. And I think that's how you should hire too, is finding people that are better at those things than you are. You'll be pleasantly surprised. And so it served me really well because I see them being so proactive about things, catching things, providing recommendations. I mean, we had this whole like internal process revamp crew and basically like a subset of our team, we came together and we said, okay, We've been doing this process for some time. There's definitely ways we can make these things better. What should we do? And it's funny because it started as a really small Slack channel and now it's exploded into this, like everyone has an idea now for something, which 
a little bit overwhelming, but at the same time, way better than hearing crickets when you're asking for help and feedback, right? Like you want people that are thinking about these things and they want it to be good. And, and that makes them invested members of your team. And, and what that means is they're better serving your clients too, right? Like they're, they're here for you and they're here for them and, and they, you know, they believe in what you believe in. So I think it's, you know, setting that culture too of like, Hey, we believe in process improvement. We believe in empowering the people that we have here and, and trust, you know, like you're an adult and we know that you're going to make the best decision. So until you prove us wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And and empowering that your team members to, you know, be comfortable to come to you with things like that. I think that's a really big thing too, is especially if we're working with, you know, contractors or people that they're not working with us on a full time, you know, capacity. You know, one of the things that we've done in our business is implementing a question method. We want you to ask questions ask all the questions that you want, but instead of just asking a question, provide two to three solutions that you think are the answer and which one you think is going to be the best and why. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, we're kind of helping to support and empower our team members to make decisions on their own versus just leaning into, okay, well, I'll just do whatever Courtney tells me to do. Right. Right. Um, And then, like you said, you're kind of pleasantly surprised because there are things that they suggest in terms of processes or things that we can implement in the business that literally never crossed my mind. And I'm like, this is brilliant, you know? And, and so I think that is scary to kind of lean into that, but it pays back tenfold because if you're cultivating, like you said, that culture within your team, you are really, really pleasantly surprised with how that pays back in your business too. Yeah. And I think it's important to share too. Like I always like to say, like everybody's on the same level, right? Like I'm no smarter than anybody on my team. Like I'm no, like I'm not any more special. If anything, I have way more things to juggle. So they're probably way more, I guess, like efficient and like focused than I am. Right. So it's like, why lean on just on myself when I have people that are hyper-focused at what they're doing and, and they can see things from their lens. But I love what you said earlier. Cause it's funny, like my operations manager, like the thing that she says, she's like, do not bring me a problem unless you have a solution. And I, <laughs> I, I love that because it's so true. And like, I see it all the time on our team of like, Hey, this is happening. This is what I think we should do. Or, Hey, I see this. How about we do X, Y, and Z? Or I love it when people are like, I saw that this was an issue and I already fixed it. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's my favorite is like, yeah. it's already done. <laughs> hey friends, real quick offer for you. Creating courses as an online entrepreneur is a super popular way to create passive income, but it definitely takes a ton of hours, dedication and work. And as a visionary and a business owner, who really has the time to carefully craft the ins and outs of a binge worthy course? That's where Dream Pro comes in. You give them your vision and they literally run with it. When I personally first launched my course, now known as Elevate, my team and I put in countless hours outlining the course, creating the slides and assets and putting everything together. So when it came time to relaunch my course, I invested in Dream Pro to quite literally make my course's dreams come true. If you're ready to create or revamp your course, don't waste another minute of your time trying to do it all by yourself. Check out the link below in the show notes to connect with Dream Pro now. Now back to the show. Okay. So I think we'll kind of like pivot a little bit towards like course and strategy. Um, so I, a huge part of what I like to do in my business is always finding the why behind something and really making sure that I'm identifying with that why, because I think that's a big thing that like ties into your vision and like the direction that your business is going to head. So what are some of the strategy steps business owners can take to evaluate whether or not a course will serve them in their business? Is there anything that you kind of recommend in terms of what that would look 
look like? Is a course a good option? Is it not? Are there kind of evaluators or like benchmarks that you would suggest for people to evaluate if that's a, a direction they're thinking of heading? So I'm assuming you're talking about creating one for themselves versus buying yeah. one for themselves, right? Okay. Yes, <laughs> Cause there's definitely ways to also make sure you're buying the right program. But when it comes to creating a program, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of times I hear coaches say like, you know, if you're new in business, start with one-on-one and then create a course, or if you're a service provider, this and that, like you should teach people how you do what you do and this, that, I think all those rules are such garbage. <laughs> it is like, you don't have to like, you know, pass go to collect $200. Like you can do whatever you want, but I think there's a few things to consider, right? Like I think there's always, you know, thought process that should go behind it. So when should you create a course or should you create a course? Number one thing or qualifier is like, are you actually qualified to create a course on that topic? So it's like, you're thinking about creating a program. If you already know in your mind, you know, I want to create it on X, Y, and Z. I want you to think to yourself, and this isn't to give yourself like imposter syndrome or anything like that, because look, a lot of people have imposter syndrome when they shouldn't, when it comes to course creation too. So I just want to put that out there. Like if you were feeling that way, you're not alone. I see it with the really successful people that I work with that are incredible at what they do, but they get all like weird about like their programs. But I want you to really make sure you are qualified to teach that subject. And here's some like litmus tests you can take, for instance. So number one, is this something that you can talk about for days, right? Like Courtney, you've literally created a podcast on systems. You eat, breathe, sleep systems, right? So if you told me that you didn't feel comfortable creating a course on systems, I would giggle. Like, I would be like, this is a lie, right? Cause this is like what you do in your business and your life, you know? So it's like, if this is something that you can talk about for days, if this is something that you're already doing and implementing with people and you understand the why and the how behind what you're doing, of course, like you can do that, right? There's always going to be somebody that is more experience or excels in that space. If you compared yourself or whatever, there's always going to be somebody that knows less, right? So it's like, I think you just need to be really confident that you can create the content for the program, right? It's not, does this sound good? Because it seems like my clients need it is, does this sound good? Because one, I know I can teach it. And two, is this aligned with my mission and my vision for my company, right? I think sometimes I see in the online space, so many people create and they spend so much time creating because they think that's what they need to do is just like constantly create. But it's like also take a step back and say like, is this something that I want to have as like a long-term asset in my business? So course creation, whether you're working with us or not, it is a, it's work. <laughs> like you can ask Courtney, like we give our clients homework. Like I think sometimes people think they're just like turning over the keys to their car, but like you still need to fill up the gas tank. You still need to tell us like, you know, like we need things from you. Right. So as a business owner, if you're creating a course, just know like courses are a lot of work, whether you're outsourcing them or creating them yourself or using your internal team. So I want you to think about that investment of time and say to yourself is a hundred hours, pouring a hundred hours into this project, something that is going to yield me what I want, right? Like, do I plan on selling this long-term in my business or is this just a one-time thing? Is this something that I want to repurpose into different digital assets, right? So like really thinking like, what is the long-term game? when it comes to this program. Because I think a lot of times too, people, you know, market them as lifetime access, but like, 
nobody wants lifetime access to your program that you're never going to update again in your lifetime. So making sure that you're willing to stay relevant with it and keep it updated, right? That's another part of the process. Other decisions to make too is does it align with the way that you want to make money in business, right? I believe in creating a course in a way that it can be on its own and people will get the transformation. But I know a lot of people that create programs that are based on the coaching component mostly. And so if you're doing that, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of lift there. So do you want to keep doing that? So I think it's just like, are you the right person? And do you want to make that commitment? That's, <laughs> that's a big thing. But other than that, why not? Education is huge. This industry is a multi-billion dollar industry for the next several years. It's only projected to be even more. And especially with COVID and everything, if you think of like how the world is working right now, people are moving away from their full-time jobs, especially with COVID now, a lot of people are actually just quitting because there's no longer options for them to work from home and they want the flexibility. People are taking more freelance opportunities. Obviously there's so many ways to make money online or on your own these days that people are leveraging that. And so if you think about the way that people are shifting in terms of employment and how they're making money, that is opening up bigger doors for the online education industry because people want to learn more skills. They want to grow their businesses. They want to improve their lives. Um, they want accessibility to these things without worrying about geographical barriers. So it's a great time to be a part of it. It's a great time to have a good product, but yeah, is it aligned with what you want to do? And do you have the time to pour into it? Yeah. And I think um, this actually really naturally leads into my next question because you just touched on, you know, you don't want to create a course and then never touch it again. Right. Like that's yeah. a big, big thing, especially with our course too, because we're so systems and tech heavy and tech changes all the time. I mean, we mm -hmm. obviously click up is a huge, huge thing that we teach they literally release new features every week. And so we never want our course to be something that just sits stagnant. And so are there steps that you recommend business owners should take to consistently audit their course or just keep mm -hmm. them fresh and up to date? Like, is there a certain cadence you recommend? Like, what does that kind of look like for your, your typical recommendation? Yeah. And I think, you know, it doesn't have to be anything that's super ornate. It can be really simple. My general recommendation is to look at your program every six months. I would say six in six months, give it a band-aid fix, right? So what that means is, you know, giving it a once over, are there things that need to be removed? Should things be added? Do things need to be updated? And then in a year, look at it and say, okay, does it need another band-aid fix? Is it fine as is, or does it need a full revamp? Right. And there's a lot of different factors that go into it. So here's how you make that decision. Number one is looking at your client feedback. So something that we build into all of our clients programs are two evaluation points, one in the midpoint, and then one at the end. And this is a great way for us to capture, you know, how is it going? <laughs> what are they enjoying? What are they not enjoying? Where are people getting stuck? Overall, did that course help them achieve the course objectives that we outlined in the beginning of the process? That's key, right? Like, did they get what they paid for? So important. So looking at that feedback, we're able to evaluate, okay, if they're not getting what they paid for, if they're not getting that outcome, why, right? Where are they getting stuck? Um, are they getting stuck in the content? Are people, most of your learners making progress until a certain point, but then they stop like really like identify the root cause of where the feedback is coming from and also take things with a grain of salt too, because sometimes people leave feedback that it might be relevant for them, but it's not something that you need to take action on for the collective. Right. So it's just, you know, take it with a grain of salt and see if it's something that really is worth 
implementing for your entire program. Another thing is industry changes, right? So depending on what your program is created on and in what industry you're in, things might change. So you just talked about ClickUp, right? So especially if you have like a systems-based program and your program relies on another software or something like that, like, you know, software updates are very frequent. So you might need to look at it a little bit more frequently. Whereas for instance, we did a program for somebody on mental health. I mean, I don't see huge shifts in the mental health world coming every like week in terms of what her content's about. I mean, there's always obviously new discoveries and, and, and things there, but in terms of the base of her content, it's probably going to stay pretty simple. So, you know, depending on your industry, think about how frequently you need to look at it. And I would honestly, like what I did for my program, I kept a Google doc and anytime I had ideas, anytime, cause you'll get inspired too. You might be like, oh, this is a good ad or, oh, I should update this to reflect that. Right. And so just having a space to actually write all these ideas in one place. And for me, it's a Google doc. It might be right in ClickUp. That's a great place to put it too. Just having one central location um, and a system for that will be helpful and knowing when the last time you updated your program. So I think it's just like keeping a pulse, keeping a place to put it and actually taking the time to do it at the very least every six months. Okay. Awesome. I love that. And then we'll wrap up with this final, it's probably a loaded question. So feel free to answer how you would like to answer. But if you were to say, okay, if a business owner came to me and say, Hey, I want to create a course, what would you say are the very first, you know, two to three steps that they should take as far as Mm -hmm take getting ready to go on this journey. Right. And then what would you say in kind of relation to that? What are the biggest mistakes you see people making when it comes to course creation? So it is one in the same. (laughs) I see people not taking this first step. (laughs) So (laughs) that's like one of the biggest mistakes it's doing intentional market research, really understanding where your current clients are at, right. In terms of competency, right. So how well do they know what you're trying to teach them or what you're trying to um, help them do? And then two is confidence level. Like how do they feel? (laughs) Do they feel confident, but it's not working. Do they, is there something going on in terms of mindset? Right. So it's like really understanding your ideal client in and out. And what I mean by that is like, I mean, on a deep level, like you would be able to take the words right out of their mouth. You know, exactly what they're struggling with. You know, exactly what they've tried before. You know, why they're getting stuck. You know, why they're purchasing your course. You know what they want to do with that. You like, you need to know them. Like they are your sibling, your best friend, et cetera, your spouse, whatever. (laughs) When you know your ideal client that good, it just helps you make a program that is so much more specific, right? Less fluffy because you're speaking right to that person. I mean, even for you, remember when like you really shifted to specifically with your program, helping coaches. And so that just that little reframe made a world of a difference in terms of just perspective, right? It became way less of just a general thing to wait, like catering way more to that person. So when you know that person in and out, it is going to help so much. So one of the first things you can do is really understand who you're trying to serve. Um, And then that this goes hand in hand with the second thing, which is like really being very clear on your course topic, which seems so basic, but I see a lot of times people are trying to create courses on a number of different things, or they're trying to solve multiple problems at once when really it's like one, what's that one big problem, right? You might have multiple smaller problems that you're solving for, but what is the one goal? 
And focusing on that will make your content way more niche, specific, less fluffy. You're going to be able to go way deeper with things because you're not focused on trying to solve everything for them because you can't be everything to everybody. And that's perfectly okay. And to be honest, like when people are looking at courses, I see the most successful ones are people are purchasing things that solve one specific problem, one niche thing where they're like, yep, that's the squeaky wheel. (laughs) This is why I need you. So, um, if you can identify that squeaky wheel, that is key. Yeah. And I think what you mentioned too, like how we're making our, you know, we made our transition to focus specifically on systems for coaching businesses it made it so much easier to really teach if that makes sense, because it was such a more specific topic. And I think that it it helps to up-level the content even more because it gives us the ability to hone in on what things that we can do to better serve a very, very specific audience. And that was scary for me because sometimes it feels like, okay, I'm shrinking my pool, right? I'm shrinking my pool of people, but in doing so I'm serving a very, very specific audience and it makes it easier to market myself. Right. And it makes it easier to speak to my audience and their pain points because I know exactly who I'm talking to. So while it feels like I, you know, made my pool a lot smaller, it's easier to pull from that because Mm -hmm. I know who I'm talking to. I know what I'm, you know, teaching or how I'm able to serve them better. So if I was a coach and I was like, I need help with my systems, I don't have them. If I had to choose between somebody who had a systems program and somebody who had a systems program for coaches, I'm going to go there, right? Yeah. It's, it's almost like it's, it's why you go to a bridal boutique to get a wedding dress. You don't go to Macy's. Yep. It's why, you know, when you're looking for something really specific, you go to that specific place. So it's the same thing. It's, I see it as an expander in ways because it's, it's your differentiator and also makes it way easier for you as the leader of the program, whether you have a coaching component or not to help people, because you don't have to worry about people in so many different areas of life and all the, you know, the, the questions they can ask, it's, you know, way more centered. So it'll only serve you and them better. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we like to wrap up our podcast episodes with some fun, rapid fire questions. So I'm just going to throw them at you real quick, real quick, easy questions. So we'll (laughs) just start with an easy one. Hopefully easy. This actually would probably be really hard for me, but what's your favorite TV show? Ooh. Okay. I guess right now I'm going to say, and this is definitely not like an overall favorite TV show, but we're watching manifest and it's really good. Okay. I don't know if it's really bad and we just enjoy it or it's really good, but I like it. Either way, um, I, I would say watching it. Other than that, I would honestly say like criminal minds. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite part about being a business owner? Mm, honestly, like I think some people say like flexibility, but I don't think it's really that flexible sometimes. I would say just like ownership and pride. Like I'm really proud of the business I built. And I think it's really cool that like I created this myself, which is pretty neat. Not all by myself, but you know, it's just, it's a cool accomplishment. Yeah. I, I used to get nervous. Cause when I started my business, I was 23, 24. And I felt so weird saying, yeah, I'm 23. And I started my own business. I felt like people weren't going to believe me, but I was actually really proud slash nervous yeah. to tell people like I'm a business owner and I'm 23 years old because that felt weird. Um, yeah. but also really proud. Okay. What is your favorite place you've traveled to? Hmm. Honestly, I'm just going to say my favorite place in general 
this would shock my husband because I always talk about how I'm never moving back there. Honestly, though, like I miss New York City. It's where I'm from. <laughs> it's just one of those magical places that there's no other place like it. Do I want to live there? Absolutely not. But when I go there, it just feels like home. <laughs> yeah, I I think we talked about New York City when we were in Atlanta because I've never been and I've always wanted to go just to see it, just to experience it. It's 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 its own thing. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's interesting. <laughs> okay, so what is the one business tool you could live without <laughs> right now click up <laughs> me too for sure yeah it, it has to be i mean like literally dream pro would die so <laughs> um and then what was the first career you dreamed of as a kid what did you want to oh be? fashion designer i always wanted nice. to be a fashion designer and then i saw project runway and i saw they were all eating ramen noodles and i said fuck that i'm gonna be rich and i didn't do that <laughs> I wanted to be Indiana Jones so bad. Like I was, I was like, I'm going to be an archeologist. I'm going to travel all around and I'm going to, you know, uncover mummies and stuff like this. That oh my was gosh. like my dream. Was That's so much cooler than mine. Oh, I have to say though, I love how you asked this question. Cause I asked the same one on my podcast. When we close uh-huh. out, I say, what did you want to be when you were growing up? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of neat to see how people pivot and like how we shifted or like yeah. how creative our imagination was when we were little, you know, like right? the world is our oyster. Literally we could have, you know, dreamed to be anything. And then last <laughs> question is what book are you currently reading? If you are reading one, which I'm pretty Ooh. sure you are. I'm reading Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I'm almost done and I adore her. Like, I love this book. It's not something I would typically read, to be honest, but somebody mentioned it once. I love getting book recommendations and Mm -hmm. I'm always down to just read something a little bit different and highly recommend. And I recommend also following her and her wife on Instagram because they are honestly- that yeah they're like yeah. the coolest people ever honestly mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> awesome cool well ariel thank you so much for joining us yeah. today um it was such a good conversation and if people want to contact you or reach out what's the best way for them to get a hold of you where can they find you um what are all the details for that stuff yeah so i'm on instagram at dream pro courses you can go to dreamprocourses.com and if you're interested in creating your own course you can go to thecoursealchemist.com and you'll see my program there awesome and i definitely obviously highly highly recommend working with you and your team i mean you guys have just been such a literal blessing to our business because (laughs) it compared to last year, like the shift and just the experience that we've had, it has just been astronomically different. So you guys are hands down. I recommend everyone to come work with you if you are interested in creating a course. But again, thank you so, so much for joining us. And I am super excited to see how your business continues to grow over the next couple of months. Awesome. Thanks, Courtney. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Elevate Effect podcast. If you liked what you heard, share the episode with your best friend, team member, or even your dog. If you have a minute, leave a review below or DM me on Instagram to let me know what you want to hear on the podcast next. Thanks again, and I can't wait to see you next week.